Hello, Trombone Internet. This is Chris Van Hoff, assistant to the regional manager of the International Trombone Festival. We at the festival, of course, are huge fans of the pod, and we are really excited to invite you to attend this year's 2024 International Trombone Festival at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. Dave Begnosh is our host. We have the world premiere of a brand new double concerto for trombone and piano with the Fort Worth Symphony. We have the American Brass Quintet. We have late night jazz featuring a Latin jam session. Like everything is happening, all the cast will be there. It's the best hang in the world, and we hope to see you there. You can register for the festival still online at www.internationaltrombonefestival.com, and it's happening the last week of May. So go register. We'll see you in Texas. Welcome to the Trombone Retreat, podcast of the Third Coast Trombone Retreat. Today on the podcast, we hang out with Randy Hawes, former bass trombonist of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra of over 35 years. My name is Sebastian Vera, and I'll be joined soon, as always, by Nick Schwartz. Nick is currently traveling back from Michigan, back to New York City. He was actually going to stop here on the way, but had a little car trouble, so they had to make it in one trip. We're excited. We're actually going to record the intro and outro together for the first time in the same room. What a concept. But I'm happy to shepherd you to our interview today. We had a great talk with Randy. He's just such a peaceful and present soul. You know, anyone that's ever gotten to spend time with him kind of knows this. A lot of people know his playing, but when you get to hang out with him one-on-one, he's just a very genuine person and just gives you the time of day. We looked back over his musical career in Detroit, 35 years, his time playing with the Woody Herman band before joining the orchestra, which was really interesting, and he actually had a favorite composer that may surprise some of you. And he's also probably as Michigander as it gets. You can't hang out with him for longer than a couple minutes without hearing a few, oh, you know, which is, is my favorite. I could listen to the Michigan accent all day long. I think it's hilarious and I love it. So if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, subscribe. We're everywhere you find your podcasts. So just subscribe and you get a notification anytime we post an episode. Also come hang out with us for the Trombone Retreat Live every other Thursday on Instagram at Trombone Retreat at noon Eastern. Uh, Nick and I just hang and have various topics and Q&As and we'd love to hear from everybody. We're having a lot of fun so far. This episode is brought to you by Houghton Horns. In addition to being a store that carries new and used trombones, accessories, and music, they have vast resources and articles, like their 20 question series with prominent musicians and other really interesting articles on trombone repair and maintenance. You can also find a really great series on YouTube for some awesome content recordings they're putting out. They're putting a lot of great work into it. Visit them at HoughtonHorns.com. Enjoy Mr. Hawes. You guys are old hat at this. I'm. Uh, this is uh, the first time. So wow! Now I have Google Chrome. That's I like uh, it. That that's a big thing, right? I mean, that's a. I mean, um, depending on how you define a big thing, I suppose. All the cool kids are using it now. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to see you. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. You know, it's it, isn't it nice that 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 spring is coming to the Midwest. Well, is this spring? <laughs> Did the I mean, sun come out? It, 
Yeah, the, the sun came out and it's it's been above 32. I mean, uh, it, is it the, it's the same over there, right, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I imagine we got a lot more snow to begin with than than you guys did down there. I mean, because it, it dumps over here all the time in the winter. Yeah, well, you yeah, you must get tons more snow than we have yeah, here. Yeah, so there's a lot to melt, and the driveway is still a mess. But hey, you know that's what salt is for. Well, and and we we don't have to drive to gigs, right? That's true. I, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, how how has your year year been in the Cleveland Orchestra? <laughs> have you have you played anything? Not one note on stage. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, I I never a year ago, you know, is when I I think I uh, signed signed the contract, and it, it yeah, it's incredible. You know, I thought for sure by now we'd be doing something on stage. You would think, uh, but uh, here here we are. I mean, a year later, and have you had any gigs at all? See, my last gig was with the Detroit Symphony, and it was in July. Oh wow! And it, and it was a trombone trio. <laughs> oh right, yeah. With Maestro Maestro Bender and Tompkins, mm. and and it was a it was an outdoor gig celebrating our former chairman's birthday. So it was a drive-through birthday party that we were uh, we were we were playing trombone trios at. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so have you? How have you been spending your time then? Oh, I mean, uh, I'm down here. This is my my basement uh, studio, my practice room. I've kind of adapted it. So, so, so I set up this 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 big TV, and I have the computer hooked up to it. So, so when I'm teaching, it's great. You know, I see I see the students up close and and bigger than life size. I recognize where you are. I've I've had uh, I've had a couple of hours in there before. <laughs> It's been a few years, but been yeah, a few years, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll ne- I was I was talking to my wife about that. You know, I said, "Yeah, I remember that guy. He came down from 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 Interlaken and and you know had some lessons." And yeah. she would send me she would send me off each time with like uh, baked goods. Or one time she tried to give me like a I want to say like a something like a shepherd's pie or something like that. Like a, not a whole one, but a, a, a serving. And I was like, go, I was going to my parents' place for dinner, so I was like, I can't do that. I can, I can have the brownies though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, what was Nick like as a student? Uh oh. Ah, well, I mean, you know, he was he, he was great. He he was, you know, he was a, a little 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 shy, but but really talented. I mean, you know, I thought, I mean, you've always been. How do I put this? I mean, you, you you've been you've been you all always been look old, looking older than you are. Yes, I mean when when you were young, you looked older than you were. Just a a grizzled life, I suppose. <laughs> old man face. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no, it was great. It was great, and you know, you you were you were so talented. It, it was you know, super easy to work with you. Well, I appreciate that, and I and I, I you know appreciate the the effort it takes to. To come down for a lesson too. Well, sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it, it obviously obviously was worth it. I remember one time uh, taking a lesson lesson with you, and this is back before cell phones. And um, I had the the schedule and everything, and you weren't feeling great that day, so you called my home answering machine, and it it never got to me. So I I made the trip, but this was only from Metro Detroit, so uh-huh. it was maybe thirty minute thirty minutes from that, and I got there, and you said. Uh, 
You're like, oh, you didn't get my message. Like, I'm I'm kind of sick. And I said, oh, okay, well, we can reschedule. And you're like, oh, well, while you're here, come on in. And you were like, <laughs> you were you were infirmed, but you still taught me. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> These days, maybe not so. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember my first experience with you, Randy, and I very much doubt you remember this. And we really, I don't think we even had like any real interactions, but I was in high school and it was the Rafael Mendez Brass Institute mm. and it was in Cincinnati. Well, okay. And you were one of the guest faculty. And I think I was like 17 and you were one of the first like real professionals that I was around that I got to go to a master class and, and hear from. And I, I still remember how I felt and it really influenced me in a lot of ways because I was thinking about that today and, and I kind of had four main takeaways from it. First of all, just I was blown away by your playing and your sound and the clarity of everything you did and, and the expressiveness of everything you did. The other thing was how joyful you were. You were generally like happy. It wasn't like showing off, like, look how good I am, kids, listen to what I'm saying. It was just like, oh, I'm doing a master class today, cool. And that really made me excited. The other things were, I noticed we had a big lunch break. And instead of just going off and doing your own thing, there was like a young college student that had questions. And you like literally sat with him for your entire lunch break, just to answer his questions, which ah. meant a lot to me, just to see a professional interact with someone like that. And is a real big philosophy with the retreat and what we try to do. And Oh, thanks. Those, those, those gatherings are so cool. I mean, what, one thing when I was younger, I mean, I was, I was quite shy when I was younger. And they didn't have half the, the number of seminars and, and opportunities like that. So I, you know, when I see especially a young, a young trombonist who's, you know, maybe a little shy, you know, I, I remember how I feel. And, you know, I want to make, make sure, break the ice and, and break that, that line between, you know, the professional up, up high on yonder, you know, and, <laughs> and two legs. Show that you're time. actually a human. Yeah, that's right. That's right. As, as much of a human as bass Ramonis can be, right? <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> and then and then the last thing i remember was you were one of the first people to really and my i'm sure my high school band directors if they're listening will be very angry if they hear me say this but you're this guy in this major orchestra and you were the, like half the master class you were just talking about how important scales were and it was just like locking that into my head i was like oh scales are important oh okay maybe i should do these every day yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's truth. No, so you you ask what I've been doing. I've been just here playing scales. So, <laughs> likewise, could be worse things. Yeah. Could be worse. <laughs> well, speaking of which, we we had a we we had a young person that we told we were going to interview you today, and he wanted to know your opinions on what it takes to develop a great sound, since everyone widely agrees that your tone is so beautiful. <laughs> it's from our friend Zach. Boy, I don't know. I mean, I think you know, be, being being open, and 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 a lot of it is understanding. You know where that sound comes from. You know the 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 exposure to to great players, to great sounds over the years, and then I think the, the soup that that's created by all the all the exposure. You know of sounds that you've heard and influence you, and then. And then, kind of digesting that that soup into a concrete idea that's in up here. You hear that sound, and you you use it as a 
as this carrot that's constantly in front of you, you know, um, that you're, you're constantly striving for. Not quite, a, not quite ever getting there, but you know, just just keep keep pursuing that that sound that you have in here. And you know, I, I have several several sounds that that are you know rolling around my head. You know, people that I have admired over the years that that uh, affected that. Who who would those people be that that really inspired you? Your tone soup. <laughs> you know, I mean, of course, George Roberts. You know, I you know, I never forget. When I was at, I, I went to Central Michigan, studied with Bill Rivard, and I'll never forget that time when you know he goes over to the record player and puts on an LP of of George Roberts. You know, maybe it was the solo album I can't remember, or or it might have been you know some uh, Nelson Riddle album where he had a solo. And I think I had just started on bass trombone because I switched the middle of my freshman year. I, I was like right away, wow. Wow, that's like everything right there, you know, core, warmth, you know, focus, uh, everything was there. So George Roberts, Ray Premru, you know, who I, I, I heard and I got to meet him live when Philip Jones played uh, in Michigan. I think they played at Michigan State University, met him there and all the recordings that he's on. You know, it's that it's that great. It's that uh, classic con sound you know focus and clarity and 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 beauty and shape so that that's another one and then um you know orchestrally probably kleinhammer you know all the all the great cso recordings that that i've heard and then you know prob- probably those three i'd say and and jeff reynolds too cuz i i finally I, I think i was 21 and i took a couple lessons with jeff and and that was that was pretty important to me because you know, I was at the time I was playing a Shilke sixty. I wanted to be big and you know, and and, and <laughs> like like every bass drum player, big and low and and blah. and but but he he kind of you know um, explained the the wisdom of of the the focus. So at at that point, I think I downsized to a smaller mouthpiece, you know, to 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 kind of collect that that clarity. And then you know, I've gotten bigger. After that, of course, you know. Oh, we've already gotten a mouthpiece talk. It's not a good start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 14 minutes. <laughs> speaking, speaking of start, so remind me, are you from around like the Battle Creek area? Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I was born in St. Joe, which is, over, you know, on the lake. And then um, our family moved to Battle Creek when I was, I think, about five. Okay. Do you have, you have a big family or? I have three sisters. And uh, two, two are over in Holland. One is in Battle Creek. Wow! So and, you're the uh, only boy. Yes. Wow. And your your parents? What did they do? Uh, see, my dad was a um, he worked for Kellogg's, and then he worked for the uh, for the government as a um, a computer programmer. Oh wow! So were you just like fully stocked with cereal all the time? Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> so, like whatever you wanted. Like everyone, come over to my house. <laughs> Got for, frosted flakes. Oh yeah, for for Halloween, you know, he'd bring um, home boxes of those snack packs, you know, that, and we'd hand those out at the door. <laughs> so you're super popular. Nice, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Better than giving away pennies and apples, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, my my mom, you know, was was a housewife, and and but but um, she played the violin, and my dad clarinet. So, you know, music was around our house all the time. Two of my sisters play play violin. 
And my oldest sister plays oboe and English horn. So there was always music in the family. So you were the you were the odd odd person out in every way. There was all treble instruments, all women except for you and your dad, and then you with the bass sounds. You know, even on tenor trombone, that's still pretty bassy. Well, there there were a few years there that that I was an alto clef guy. I I played a uh, viola. viola. Yeah. Oh no, Randy. <laughs> yeah, two years, and and I think it was it was fourth, fifth, and sixth sixth grade, and then sixth grade. My oldest sister was dating a trombonist, and that that was like the coolest thing ever. And uh, so that that's that's what did it. The viola is officially the euphonium of the string world. Take take what you will of that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I have to say, but you know, I, I don't know if you've ever met Tom Wilkins. Well, but he was he was I think a associate conductor in Detroit. Anyway, one of his lines to the the students in the audience was parents. You know, if you want your kid to get a scholarship, especially if they're not t- tall enough to play uh, basketball or volleyball, get them playing bassoon or viola, and they'll get a scholarship. Still might be true today. <laughs> I don't I, know. I have a good friend, uh, Tom Hutchinson, and him and his now fiance, they just got engaged. They say that they're never going to have kids because viola runs in both sides of their family. <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> they don't want to ch- take a chance of uh, continuing the, the yeah line. passing on viola, you know. All right, <laughs> right. All in good fun. Sorry if there's any viola. No, there's no viola listeners, of course. Actually, I think we have a couple. But uh oh, well, we we have a sister viola podcast, but that's another story. You oh. never know. Sorry. <laughs> no. So when did you when did you pick up trombone? I was I was in sixth grade, and um, you know, probably eleven. 11 years old, I think, and I inherited my cousin's old uh, Reynolds trombone. Still have it up in the attic. I'm waiting for that moment, a, you know, a steamroller goes by and I can haul it out and <laughs> have something to put on the wall. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you always wanted to do that, though? I've seen some steamrolled. Yeah. You could make a really cool work of art out of it. It'd be cool to, like, or make a lamp or something. I think Tom Riccobono has one up at Interlocking. I think that's where I saw it. <laughs> so, so, so were you, were you like, did you have the bug immediately or was it just kind of like a fun little thing you did for a while? When, when did you start to like really fall in love with it or did you ever? <laughs> uh, oh yeah. I mean, I mean through, you know, I started taking lessons with that, with, with my sister's boyfriend. And that that was great. I mean, he was he was a great player, and 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 then you know it was lessons nonstop from that point. And I think that the I never really liked to practice when I was young, but but the the better I got, the more I practiced, and and I and it was kind of a snowball going down the hill. And then then I think it was probably uh, junior year, senior year in high school. I thought, you know, what am I going to do? What's that? I like trombone, you know, I really enjoy it. So my first teacher and my and my second teacher both went to Central Michigan and they they knew the 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 teacher Bill Rivard. I only auditioned I think I auditioned at three places. You know, talk about things have changed. You know, Central Michigan, Western Michigan and Michigan State. I auditioned and ended up at Central, got a nice scholarship and so I did the music education thing and with a minor in performance. At that point, did you have any idea of like 
what you really wanted to do with the trombone or were you just like, I like music. I'm pretty good at this thing. Let's see what happens. I mean, how, how often were you hearing live orchestras and, and things like that? Yeah, not, not, not that often. I mean, I, I was lucky, like my first year at Central, um, I started subbing in the Saginaw Symphony on second trombone. So then, then that became my gig and it was, you know, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And, and, uh, it was kind of a glimpse into what, what this could possibly be, you know, that really, that really whetted my appetite. But I guess going back, I think the first time I heard a, a professional orchestra was at Michigan State. I was a senior in high school and I heard the Chicago Symphony and it, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I was, uh, it was in the big field house. And I was uh, sitting up uh, kind of on the side and pretty close to the stage so I could get a really good look at the trombone section. And it was exciting. It was, and I, I'll never forget it. I mean, it was Rachmaninoff Symphony Number no. 2. Around what year was this, if you, if you don't mind? Oh, let's see. 74? Wow. So the first orchestra, ex- like live orchestra experience was hearing Chicago in the 70s. Wow. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so it was it was you know, wow, and then then I remember her I uh, heard heard them again a couple of years later at Meadowbrook, but yeah, I just started you know just started working and and I just wanted to play, you know um, I I, I like the orchestral thing but I like big band playing, you know I wanted to make sure, you know had a wide diverse kind of approach to it and I just wanted to play. So so how did the Woody Herman thing come along? Well, that was. Uh, 1981, I was, um, you know, everything's connected. Um, the summer of 81, I did the American Wind Symphony in Pittsburgh, the barge band. (laughs) Oh, right. With, with Robert Boudreau. Yeah. His son is the, the lead trumpet player in the River City Brass Band that I play in. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was great. That's where I, you know, I, I first met, um, Let's see. Don Lucas was in the section. Wow. Uh, Laurie Salamando. But it was great. We had a we had a, a trombone quartet that you know that did the 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 seed of this trombone quartet eventually led to this American classic trombone quartet that Don and I were in for a while. You know, with with Ava. Hmm. So, so, do you mind explaining to me? So basically, they had this giant barge. Yeah. And it was a boat, and they would just float down the river to different sites. And it just, was it just like a giant stage that, and then people from the town would just come to the shore and listen? It was, it was bizarre. I mean, it was built specifically for this purpose. You know, it had a, had a big, uh, had a big stage and a hydraulic roof that opened up, you know, the, the small wind on, you know, enough room for a small wind ensemble. And, um, but he, he commissioned many works for wind ensemble. You know, we we stayed at people's homes, families' homes, and did little tours, runouts in the area. And so, anyway, the people I met through there, this trumpet player, Jeff Grass, had a connection with this New York City um, conductor who was putting together a small orchestra for a European tour of Porgy and Bess. So I got in that. So that, that left in September, and then I did that until... I don't know, maybe March or something, and then I'd been keeping. That's a heavy piece to play every night. <laughs> That's a lot of a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, as you as you know, I mean, Nick, you you've probably memorized many, many. Um, I mean, yeah. like 
Nutcracker, right? <laughs> oh yeah, Nutcra- Nutcracker is is up there forever, whether I like it or not. No, I, I do like that. It's great. It's uh, great music. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So so yeah, doing Porgy and Bessie was great. And we we were in we were in Geneva, and I kind of happened upon this used music store, and walked in and small and and uh, rescued this uh, small B flat tuba. That was uh, just a, a three-valve, piston-valve tuba. So I played some of the poor game best on that and, and on bass trombone. And <laughs> nice. But this other guy, Gene Smith, who, who was a jazz player, um, he was on Woody's band. And he had gone to Central Michigan and studied with Bill Rovard. And we had kind of kept in touch. And um, so he let me know when a vacancy uh, happened on the band, and I'd sent a, a cassette tape or two, remember those? Heard of them. <laughs> with with kind of my audio resume, you know, me playing some jazz standards and some other stuff, some cello suite uh, movements. So what happens on the band, if someone sends in a tape, they, they, they circulate it, you know, on, on, on the bus, and people check it out and say, yeah, yeah, this guy would be, yeah, this, this guy will work. Or, you know, it's either this or this. So. <laughs> wow. So, so I got I I got offered the job and I I left the tour in 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 May, came home and then um, three weeks later I was in at Disneyland playing with the Woody Herman band, and my first time time reading the book was on the bandstand the first night. So, kids, practice your sight reading. <laughs> That's <what I> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You 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 actually were one of the first people to um, drive that point home to me because in our lessons we would start by reading some duets or something like that, and I remember one in particular was the uh, I think the Sp- uh, Spillman duets, and you said to me just kind of casually like, "Ah, oh, you need to work on your sight reading," <laughs> and you didn't really go in, you didn't say anything more than that. But I bought that music from Hickey's back when you would get the Bone Cat catalog in the mail and you look through it and call them up and say what you want. And I ordered it and I memorized both parts, top to bottom, just, you know, because I didn't, I wanted to, in case you pulled that music up again, which that defeats the entire purpose. You, you wanted to say read, <laughs> but I'm, I, I have, I probably have it memorized somewhere in my brain. If I started playing it again, it would probably just come out, you know. <laughs> I'd love to sit down and play some duets with you now. Right I know. Me oh too. man, <laughs> yeah. And I've got some trios too. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, Not on Zoom. I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, S- sight reading the duets. Yeah, the the I, I do that all the time with students now, and and make sure that you know slide vibrato has got to be something you, you address early on, so that can be you know you pick it up over time, and and it's got to be in your toolbox. You know, y- you want to be able to use slide vibrato when it's appropriate and when you need it. And, it's hard. And swing. It's hard. It's harder than it looks. Slide Verbala to make it. And there's. I remember. I don't know if you ever knew our principal tremonist in the ballet, Rick Chamberlain. No. He he was a one of the people that uh, could demonstrate really the difference of slide vibratos from different eras. Like the one, not the only one, but one I came across and he'd be like, this is like, if you were in the Kenton band, this would be like, if you played in Ellington, this is like, and, and he would play just little things and, and show me. It was very interesting just see, to hear that up close and see sure. actually the physical movement. But just along those lines, I'm curious what what do you find to be the problem? Like you mentioned, slide vibrato. What do you, what do you what do you come across with students that that the main problem is with slide vibrato? Oh, well, I think you know maybe it's just not slide vibrato, but I think vibrato itself 
you know there's a there's there's a reluctance you know to 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 really dig into it and and you know kind of explore it and i think you you know it is an exploration it's just like you know everything else you have to find what works for you you know what 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 your vibrato is you know like i you can imitate vibrato from other players but it's got to come from you you know and and so so i get yeah i try to get them to you know explore the the jaw vibrato and then I, I do an exercise where I, I do a jaw vibrato, then I, 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 I shift it subtly to slide vibrato and make it sound the same, you know, and, and shifting back and forth. And then, so, so in different ranges, you know, you want to use some slide vibrato. Sometimes you want to use some jaw vibrato. But like I, I, I find myself, especially if it's um, anything in the higher register, you know, I'll use a, maybe just a little bit of slide vibrato, you know, to help it out. And and if it's really low, if you know if you're using slide vibrato, it just sounds goofy, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that that is so smart. I love I love that. It's it's an exploration. So I I want to hear a little bit more about this Woody Herman experience. Judging by what I looked at, this was you were there for a couple years, like eighty three to eighty five, and looks like it's around the he died in eighty seven. So you were getting to be with him. At the end of his, like, you know, it looks like he was performing for like 50 years. Yeah. What, what was that experience like? And what did you learn the most from that experience? I guess what, one thing is never, never trust your, your, your manager. Because at the, at the time, I was, I was your business manager. At the time I was playing with him, he was paying back taxes like $10,000 a week. Because a, a former manager of his uh, ripped off money, you know, and, and didn't pay taxes for years. So Whoa. it was so sad to see this man, this legend, you know, um, in, his, in his 70s, you know, having to work, you know, to, to pay this debt because of nothing he did. He was always the nicest guy, you know, he, he would always be very encouraging. I think he, he appreciated how, how, how youthful the band was, you know. Um, the thundering herd. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it went up under a couple of different names, you know, but when I joined in June of 82, so th- this was the uniform, um Calvin Klein jeans and a pink shirt, pink polo shirt. So sassy. It's perfect for you. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I think occasionally we had to wear tuxes, but that was rare. But it was it was great, you know. It was it was you know the the Woody Herman book. It, it's it's a little different than like the um, the Buddy Rich book. Uh, um, I think the Buddy Rich book, uh, the bass trombone part, the parts are more bass trombone, you know, down in the in the below the staff and meaty and 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 Woody's band. It, it was more like a third trombone part, and you know, it was it was up to the player to adapt those. You know, take some things down an octave. You know. Um, to make it more interesting, but but my chair was not a jazz chair, you know, so much as you know, like John Fedshock and Gene Smith were the other guys, you know, who, true jazzers wow. that, that were, you know, really great. So it was the occasional gig that that um, you know I had to kind of rely on my background member one specifically. We were playing a four-hour dance somewhere. I think it was Texas or something. We were play, playing this uh, satin doll. Don't get around much anymore. Um, little medley, and there's a spot every time we played it that there's a trombone solo. 
So it was coming up and, and Woody points at me and I'm like, yeah. surely <laughs> like, you mean the trumpets behind me, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was me. So, so I went down and, and, you know, did my best on satin doll and, <laughs> you know, so that happened a couple of times, you know, and it, it was, it was great fun. I mean, I, I, I will not, you know, claim to be a, a great jazz player, you know, I'm, I can play changes, simple changes now and then, but, and, and swing, but, <laughs> but as time went on, you know, I, I realized that, that I was, you know, kind of starting to get, get, getting the itch, you know, to, to play in an orchestra again and, and wanting to do it more seriously, you know, so the, the great thing about that band was we traveled so much, you know, and, and we were everywhere. So, uh, when I was in San Francisco, I got to know John Engelkiss, you know, and played for him. And and when we were in in Philadelphia, I'd stop and I'd play for Charlie, and and it was great. And in Chicago, I took some lessons with Chris Foley, and I, I regret never getting a lesson with Kleinhammer, you know. That was, but it was great. And and hearing orchestras too on nights off, you know, hearing hearing San Francisco and Chicago and Philadelphia. It was a great lesson, you know, and kind of contrasts too, you know, playing in the big band and then hearing orchestra, you know, and, and kind of figuring out, okay, what do I need to do here? Were there any skills that you feel like you picked up through that experience that translated to your orchestra career? Probably just, a, I think, a, you know, just a, the flexibility you have to have, you know, on the gig, um, you know, being ready for anything um, and you know, just in case whatever happens next, you're ready. Don't, don't, don't get, don't get, um, don't get bent out of shape. Just go with it. Go with the flow. <laughs> That's a good lesson. So, so one, just at, at the tail end of Woody's time, there was a, there was an audition. This was in uh, the spring of 84. I think there was an audition in um, Phoenix, the one that John Lofton won. So I had to take time off the band. So John Ingokis subbed for me for a week on Woody's band. Nice. So. <laughs> too, too bad you couldn't find a qualified sub. I know, right? <laughs> so you you left the band in 85, is that right? 84. 84, yeah. okay. In June of 84. I was one, just for reference, if that makes you feel anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not even one, so. <laughs> that's, that's okay. It, we... We Sebastian, we we ended up the same. So and I'm yes, and I'm yes, getting and I'm getting there. So <laughs> was Detroit the next stop for you? Where, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's no. a little bit of time. Yeah, where 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 did you go from there? Well, I met a girl. Um, oh yeah, and and, and uh, you know, we, yeah, I was on this tour on the Porgy and Best tour. We met, and she was living in Pittsburgh. You know, freelancing horn player. So I I moved to Pittsburgh. And I I uh, I started a master's degree at at um, not Duquesne the other one Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon. Mellon yeah yeah so I so I studied with BB McCullough at Carnegie Mellon and uh, do you remember what neighborhood you lived in Yeah I remember the street where uh, was it on Williams Street up on Mount Washington Oh, okay. oh yeah nice views up there Yeah it was a great house it was great great views not too far from the incline Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. You know, did a lot of subbing, like the ice capades. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, gigs a gig, right? And and subbing subbing with the brass band a few times. You played in the brass band? 
Well, that's some cool brass wow. band history. Yeah, it was good. I got I got to tell Hakeem that. That's oh yeah, right. <laughs> Hakeem will like that. So you went from like Rust Belt City to Rust Belt City. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Because the the summer of the the following summer in '85, I went to Tanglewood. Then you know th- there were a bunch of auditions that summer: Cincinnati, Cleveland, Chicago, and then. Wow. Um, Someone someone asked us if you'd be willing to talk about the Chicago audition. Oh, yeah, we heard that was an interesting story. Yeah, that was that was wild. For for me, um I was kind of lucky because in in May of 85, yeah, May of 85, they had the first round in Chicago. And it was and it was only going to be like like a preliminary round um because they didn't have time and I think Schulte wasn't going to be there. Um so they had a preliminary round and there were some players that could not make the May audition, so they had another preliminary round or another round in, in in September. I think Charlie was one he couldn't make the May audition, but so I auditioned in May, and and the committee was tied, um, so they decided to invite me back in September for the next for another preliminary round. So it was great timing to do the uh, the Tanglewood stuff. And and that Tanglewood summer was Doug Yo's first uh, summer with the BSO, mm. so it was it was really cool because I got to know him really well and uh, did a lot of playing for him and it was you know pretty crucial in audition prep, you know to be in that um, atmosphere, you know with other hungry hungry uh, musicians. So did were you a, were were you a competitive person? I guess in my own way, you know, I, 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 um, you know, I was a little, I think I didn't have the confidence, you know, I do now. And I, I always tell young players, you know, don't hesitate to contact, you know, someone in an orchestra, you know, if you want to, if you want a lesson, do it, you know, and it's, it's so much easier now, you know, with email and texting and, um, it's just easier to contact people. I yeah, think absolutely. it's. Yeah, so the so the the audition in in May went well, and they inv- invited me back. I went back in September. I had already started in Detroit because uh, Tom Claber won the won the job in Cleveland. So uh, and I was in the finals with Tom in Cleveland. So they had a one year position audition in Detroit. So because I was you know kind of uh, uh, up and coming, I guess. They invited me for that one-year job, and I got that. So I went to sep- in September. Went to Chicago, did the audition, and you know, I think it was uh, one of those cases where I was I was so relaxed because I, I was I was already in Detroit, and I and I, I think I was of the mindset like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll never get this because I'm I'm just not I'm not ready for something like this. So I was relaxed, you know, and I just played and made the finals and. Larry Bird, Murray Crew, me and Charlie. So and that sounds that sounds like a fun post audition hang. And then and then it was Charlie and me. So it was the the two of us on stage. At uh, one of our rounds, had two of us on stage about about fifteen feet apart, playing back to back each excerpt. Ah, I can't imagine that. That that's crazy. I mean. I don't think you could even do that anymore. I don't think I think someone would have a fit on the in the orchestra committee or something like that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I you know, I, the, it's a nice way to to kind of compare A to B, right? 
Yeah, for for the listener, but for the players, oh man! <laughs> it's like you listen, you're like, "Wow, they sound really good," and then the other person's thinking, "Wow, they sound really good," you know. The Cleveland audition was another interesting one because they had there were six of us in the finals, and they had all six of us stand, uh, sitting on stage. Whoa, and, that's even and, crazier. And and so one by one, we went up and played with a section, and then and then went back and sat down. That's crazy. So, so that that that's just the way they wanted to do it. You know, the the section was on stage, the committee was on stage. You know, we were all on stage, and it was one big happy party. <laughs> so, how'd you feel in that moment? I mean, golly, that that's such a mental exercise. Being first of all, such high stakes, like playing in this dream orchestra, having just one other person across the stage, and you're it's we're not always set up to, to compete like this musically. I mean, what, what was your mindset in that moment? Well, I remember at one point, you know, there was a, there was a slight break and, um, and, and Charlie, you know, Charlie's always been so, he's just so great. He, I think the committee was on a break. We were still on stage and he, he looked over at me and he said, said, can you believe this? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's like, he couldn't believe it was happening too, you know. Yeah. But, but, but it was. But I, I learned so much. I mean, you know, just I mean, listening to him play, you know, and you know, it's for me, you know, learning excerpts and 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 kind of mimicry is such a a key part of of what we do, you know, what what students do, you know, mimicking a great player, and and so and for the for the section round, it was the same thing. We were both on stage and. And and he went first, thank goodness, because I think one of the excerpts was Bruckner Nine, which I didn't know, <laughs> but, but I got to hear Charlie play it first with the section, and so I. Hey, that's how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny how many people have a similar audition story like that. There's like one thing they forgot to learn, and it yes. somehow works out. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, you can't. That's I learned that. In another audition about a Beethoven, that, that second Be- Beethoven excerpt, you know, the... The fugue? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's th- that's got to be just as important as the other one because, sure. you know, yeah, yeah you got to study it. <laughs> so so the the good thing was, you know, about that, I mean, I, f- I felt really good about it and, and I, you know, became better friends with Charlie and, and you know, I got to know know the Chicago people and, and I got to play with them another number of times and and um they invited me back to play with the orchestra in, in January, I think. And then, you know, maybe a side note, maybe Charlie doesn't want me to tell tell you this, but a week after the audition, I got a call from the personnel manager and, and she said, Randy, I just want to let you know, you know, Charlie Charlie's turned down the job. He's gonna stay in Philadelphia. And we want to, you know, use that week that we set up for you to come in and, and to play for us again. And I said, okay. You know, I got off the phone. I thought, wow. And then, <laughs> and then, okay. then, then two days, yeah, yeah. Then two days later, she calls back and she said, well, Charlie changed his mind. He's, he's coming to Chicago. So I think I later learned, I think Charlie and I may have talked about this, you know, I'm sure there was negotiation going on or something, you know, so it happens and that's, that's okay. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> so, that's crazy. So, I mean, that's, just, uh, you know, the, all this stuff going on and it's, but it's, you know, I, I don't think, 
Maybe things are a little bit different now, but maybe not, you know. We'll see. Well, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? (laughs) (laughs) So the good news is you got to join the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, where you spent, is it 35 years? Yeah. Wow. I don't even know how to, to ask about this whole experience, but I mean... Reflecting over this time, like starting as as a young man and living that long in that city, watching the city grow, watching the orchestra go grow, watching the orchestra go through struggles and come out of the struggles, to even now, like what goes through your mind when when you reflect back upon this experience? Hmm. I mean, it's it's been it's been great. I mean, when I joined the orchestra, we were playing at Ford Auditorium, which was uh, a a pretty bad hall that was built in the 50s down by the river. It's been uh, demolished now for, I think, 10, 15 years. But. And then in 1990, the orchestra moved back to its original home, Orchestra Hall. So that was just fantastic. You know, just the, the greatest acoustics, just wonderful acoustics. E- so easy to play in that hall. Have, have you played there, Nick? I have never played there. Not as oh. a kid or a professional or anything. We're gonna have to change that somehow. <laughs> We're gonna. Have... I'd love to. I mean, it's one of my favorite halls. I'm both both uh, Pittsburgh and Detroit. I mean, they have kind of the same era of hall, that kind of Art Deco. Um, sure. And sure. Oh, beautiful, beautiful uh, aesthetically and acoustically. But you yeah. know, actually, when I first started hearing, which I'm sure you're going to get to in a second, when I first started hearing the Detroit Symphony, was when they were renovating the hall, and you were you guys were playing in the uh, opera hall, opera house, I believe. Yeah. For like a season or two, right? Yeah. They, they had us at the opera house for a season. I think they were finishing the, the painting, uh, cause, cause they, they restored the hall to exactly what it looked like when it opened, you know, in 1919. So they had, um, really detailed painting and, and plaster work to finish up. Um, yeah, the opera house was not ideal, but you know, that's okay. Another beautiful building, though. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. Just not meant yeah. for an orchestra, no <laughs> stage at least, you know. Yeah. No, but it, you know, it's interesting just seeing seeing the orchestra go through uh, different phases. Um, Gunther Herbig was the music director when when I was hired. Um, German, very German, East German, kind of a narrow um, repertoire, and then after that, Naomi Yarvi, which you know he was fantastic kind of a sometimes a different kind of repertoire you know he he liked to he liked to find music that hadn't been recorded you know uh no matter the 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 quality you know and <laughs> <laughs> that, that can get dicey in a hurry as we all know yeah 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 but but it, but we did some good recordings with Naomi and and he had a contract with Shandos and Shandos um I think uh of all the People that have recorded in the hall, I think, captured the hall, the sound of the hall really well. Mm. You know, really, really good recordings. There's, I think, my favorite probably is the Barber First Symphony that we did with Naomi. Really great recording. I also and, love the uh, um, Tchaikovsky Orchestra Suite Number no. Three. Yeah, we do that as yeah. a ballet very frequently. Oh, um, nice. And so I, I was looking for recordings. I was like, "Oh, Detroit has one, awesome!" And I was like, "It's one. It's probably my favorite recording of the of the piece. It's great." Yeah, yeah. He was 
you know, Neme was great. He was he was spontaneous. He was he was so musical. You know, he he he. You know, his hands were just wonderful to watch. You know, he's doing all these expressive things, and he you know conduct cues with his shoulder and and you know flirt flirt with the the pretty women up in the uh, the boxes and. <laughs> <laughs> and and he yeah he was great and his um but like everything you know i think of t- 10 11 years is about right you know and it was time and then uh, there were some financial um problems uh they were they were running out of money you know the endowment was kind of shrinking they did an addition to the hall and they they um they spent a little bit more than they thought and there was you know financial downturn but Slacken came on about that time, and it was I think it was really great. And and it, right before that time, uh, Mark Volpe was the executive director, and he's you know now leaving uh, Boston Symphony. Mm. He so he went from us to to the Boston Symphony, and um, just a fantastic person and leader, and uh, so good at his job. So so yeah, Slacken, and then now. Um, you tell me who the who the uh, character is. What's it? Be- Begum Nyati? Is that his name? Um, Yad, Yader Bignamini. Ah, wow. Yeah, I, I played That's with him. Name. I played with him at, at the Met a couple years ago. But it was a, oh, nice. It was a Madame Butterfly, I think, and uh, so I was buried in a book most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, one thing that I really loved when you came to the trombone retreat in in person, one of the times that you'd come up, you'd led a warm up like a lot of our guests artists will do. And one thing you were doing is just having the entire room play the melody from the slow movement of of Saint-Saëns Organ Symphony in different keys. So, you know, we start off playing in D flat like you normally do. And then like, all right, let's move it to the key of F or let's, you know, whatever key you name. And... I think that encapsulated so much of not only hearing you would play the fr- a phrase and then have us repeat it back or the, the students repeat it back. And not only did they get to hear you play, but in with the intention that you got to play with. And um, I think it just really encapsulated going back to like your sound concept and your, your um, what do you call it? your tone soup? Um, but also just using your ears to, you know, thinking, thinking the terms of keys and things like that. I thought it was a really excellent moment for, for learning from everyone. And you also Thank you. Uh, played a couple things from that, uh, sing along with riddle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had never seen that before. It's a, it's a book of Nelson riddle tunes, right? With, a with a recording play along. I think that's a great tool and I can't find the music for that. So I'll, I'll send it to you. Ah, you, you gave you know, it to me at one point. I think I lost it in a move or something. I'll send you a PDF. It's awesome. it's out of print, um, and and the uh, you know the play along tracks are on Spotify. I I found the play along tracks. I, okay. I I I just have not been able to find the music. I'll send it. Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll send it to you, Sebastian. Too. You, you'll. I would uh, love it. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's so it's so relaxing to do. I, it's, it's so much fun. You know, and if and if and if you get bored on an uh, on a you know snowy night and and you need to entertain your spouse spouses. Um, you know, it has the words too, so you can oh, do a little karaoke action. You know, and um, show your skills. Well, it's well known that Nick and I like to sing. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm referred to as the songbird of my generation. So, Aww. by himself, by myself. <laughs> 
<laughs> so by I, the way, well, oh. by the way, I have to, I just have to say this. I, I have this on my on my pile, uh, on my nearby nearby pile. Oh, Slama! See, so you're you've inspired me, Nick. I'm oh, telling no. you, Uh-oh. some good stuff. Oh, thank you. One of my students was complaining the other day, or a um, previous student, like he studied with me a couple of years back, and he said, "You made me play number four for like four weeks straight, and I hated it." And I, and so I told him, I said, Don, Don Harwood made me play it for an entire semester, which is true. Um, did you work <laughs> through the whole book with him? Yes, I did. But number four, I was stuck on for, for four months. He just would not let me move on. He was so, he was very picky about it. Um, but yes. Yeah, do you consider practicing it? Oh boy. I don't, I have like, I think I have, uh, uh, waking, waking nightmares that, uh, wake me up out of the deep sleep thinking about slama practice, um, <laughs> from my old days. You know, uh, Nick, I, Nick, another, I mean, maybe another time, but I'd love to hear, you know, what it was like studying with Don Harwood. So you have we'll, to tell. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that over beers. Uh, maybe when you start a podcast and you interview me. There you go. <laughs> That'd be great. Hey, you got Google Chrome now? You got, you're, you you're, got I'm hooked up. Headphones. Yeah. You're set. I, yeah. You have like the ultimate podcaster backdrop, like all I those got the records cool in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So speaking of conductors, we actually had a question in that regard, since you've gotten to play with so many amazing ones, including Schulte as well. Neil Advant asked, uh, who was or is your favorite or most memorable conductor to work with and why? Mm. If you could pick one. Boy, I mean, Schulte was amazing. He was, he was so, he was so energized and so inspiring. And I'm sure you've seen videos of him conducting. I mean, my, my dad always said, how do you follow someone like that? You know, and, 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 you know, just that, that, this, that inspiration and the, um, the passion. I love that. He's probably one. Um, what was he like in rehearsals? He was, he was intense, very intense. Um, th- there was this, you know, I, I've played with this group called the World Orchestra for Peace. Mm-hmm. And um, it was started by Schulte in, in uh, 95. And, and there was a, uh, we were rehearsing the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra. And the one, uh, forget the name of the movement, you know, with the, with the drum, boom, 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 boom. Anyway, the, 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 the snare drummer kept messing it up. You know, or or he was doing something, and Schulte looked back at him. And he said, "You do that again, I will kill you." And and <laughs> I mean, it was so intense. I believe you know, you believed him. <laughs> but I think, but that that can either go either way. That's either going to get you hyper focused or like to freeze and then mess up. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But. But Bernstein was 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 another one. Um, mm. uh, I only worked with him one week at Tanglewood with uh, Copeland Three, and that was that was really really fantastic. Just you know, Copeland was there in the audience, and and you know Bernstein, and, and he was just very inspira- inspirational. But I think probably now, um, I've loved playing with Gergiev. He's really? crazy. He's crazy, but, but, but he, 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 I don't know how he does it, but he gets, he gets a certain sound and music out of the orchestra, you know, and, 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 you know, just by, by doing this, you know, this thing and, and, 
you know, it's and all those, you know, you know, doing his his hair like this and just and and, and <laughs> so there, we're trying. I'm trying to think of how to describe to our audience the the hand gestures Randy's making right oh, now. Like well, you're holding I, a hot I watch potato. A game tape. Yeah, like hot, hot potato. Hey, I, you've you've worked with him, right, Nick? I have. I have not actually. I was supposed to play uh, Flying Dutchman, uh, but then the pandemic hit. Womp womp. Yeah, but, no, no, but he, yeah, he's, he's great. He has, he has a way of, you know, in his descriptions and his requests for the sound he wants to just pull something magical out. And, and often on, on little rehearsal time, because he's almost always late to the rehearsal. <laughs> you got to be really good if you're going to show up late all the time. That's so, right. To get away with that. <laughs> I have a, I, I have a story that, uh, right before I joined city, New York city ballet, he, came and did a live from Lincoln center with the the company and they were doing firebird and I want to say Stravinsky's Judicart. Um, and he knew firebird of course, but he had never conducted Stravinsky's Judicart. And (laughs) the first rehearsal apparently was a disaster. And someone, someone came up and said, hi, uh, hi maestro. Um, I'm so-and-so I'm with the production crew. We need to do a couple of takes for the camera because there could be this spot on the, on the pit. And he goes, camera for for what and they said well this is going to be on national television uh tomorrow night and (laughs) he didn't know that he didn't know it was going to be a live from lincoln center and and apparently he got like super serious and conducted very clearly actually because (laughs) because he he didn't know he didn't know the piece that well so he was (laughs) he wanted to make sure it came off okay you know I, I believe that. I believe that. Yeah. He he must be one of the hardest working conductors out there. It's, yeah. He's always always busy. Oh yeah, yeah. He he. The um, one of the other trombone players. There was a concert we did. I can't remember where it was. It was somewhere in Europe, and he was flying in from Rotterdam on a private jet, and Pierre rode with him. Um, Vol- Pierre Volders, and and so so. <laughs> He said they, you know, of course, went to a reception after the concert in Rotterdam and then left at like 1 a.m. for this flight to um, Prague or something. And I think that's where we were and um, (laughs) got in at 7 a.m. and, and, you know, went went to the hotel and then got to the rehearsal late because he was taking a shower, I think. And I hope anyway. (laughs) It's just it's just a different life. Have you ever heard of this conductor Leif Sigerstam? Oh, yeah. It, it, people probably have seen there, there was a viral video, at least in the music world, that went out of him conducting Scheherazade, and in the middle of the whole uh, storm scene and all this, he starts just screaming like ah, and it's in a concert, and he, I mean he looks like Brahms, and I've I've heard he has a mm, a scent. <laughs> oh, wasn't it, wasn't Ken telling us about him a little bit? The story, the when story in Dublin. Him? He flew to Dublin. And his luggage was lost, and then so so he he had no no change of clothes. So the second part of the rehearsal, he came out draped, no, no shirt on, topless, with with a towel around his neck, you know, and and so the, the you know the inner circle of the strings were wearing um, perfume, um, you know, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, to try to counteract the smell, <laughs> but. Yeah, he he was he was a fun conductor to work with, but uh, on a temporary basis. <laughs> gotcha. 
Like so many. I love that. It's like so, like so many. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, One week. And that, that, that's, that, that, I mean, that's another part of a, you know, the, the great part of a job in an orchestra is you, you have, you know, one thing for one week and then you're on to the next thing. You know, it's, it's constantly, you know, refreshing and um, it's not always great, but it's always different and fun and inspiring. Absolutely. Yeah. A L- little bit different in the pit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get, we get stuck on things for a while. Right. That's okay though. But there, there, there can be some, some beautiful things in that too, to oh. like really get in depth in a piece, you know, spend a, a long time with an opera and really like really understand it. Is, is it is, how does the future look? Is there any um, kind of back to work uh, date that you're looking at, Nick? They say September. I mean, for for the ballet, I, I've, I'm supposed to have some stuff this summer, festivals and stuff, knock on wood. But um, I know Sebastian's probably around. Well, you've been working with the brass band. The opera is doing some stuff, right? The opera has been performing this whole time. So Wow. Uh, we have our own facility, so it's been a lot of scaled down. They changed the whole season to chamber operas and basically made it like 50 people can come, like super spread out, and they added more performances. All the mm. opera singers are seen through these masks. Oh, yeah. So it's working, I guess. We're doing a Daniel Schneider opera Ooh. coming up, which will be interesting. Um, wow, look at that thing. That looks like it's made out of ceramic. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it looks like you have a beak. <laughs> <laughs> Randy just put on his mask for us and sang. I've never seen Randy. Uh, there's a few questions we we tend to ask people at, at the end that I wanted to ask you. We call them our rapid fire questions, but some things, some some ones I picked out for you. I'm curious if you were looking at your 18 year old self right now. What what would you tell him? Oh, I, I would not hesitate. Go out and contact people that are doing what you want to do for a living and get lessons do it now don't don't there's no reason to be shy about it go out there and 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 see how far you have to go to get to where you want to be you give that same advice about talking to girls too yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that's what i would tell myself like stop being so scared well yeah Um, i mean well yeah (laughs) stop being scared and rely on your instincts for That's for good. women like that. Welcome to the Third Coast Dating Podcast. <laughs> yeah. We're back with Randy. Yeah, Randy, known womanizer, Randy the Hall. love expert. No, make sure. Yeah, make sure your your partner has uh, uh, a great understanding of what you do, and doesn't mind hearing trombone lip slurs and uh, exercises. To all wee hours of the morning, and and uh, Ooh, yeah, that's very good advice. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I this has got to be a very difficult question after your vast career. But do you have a, a a musical experience that sticks out as the as the most profound, the most meaningful to you? I don't know. I mean, one one happens, and you think that that's the one, and then another one comes down the road. You know, there have been several like that. Like that Copen three with Bernstein, you know that was that was pretty, pretty cool. You know it was a um, there were some 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 tour some tours with Nami where the where the performances were really great. There there was one I mean, memorable for the wrong reason. We did a Schumann two in Hamburg with Nami, and the audience didn't like the tempos he took, so they booed. 
Whoa. Yikes. <laughs> were they slow or fast? Shuma, not Booma. They were too, they were too fast. Uh-oh. And, you know, Naomi was just trying to do something. I don't know what he was doing, but yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, probably those. Um, the, 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 there was one concert. The, the first concert with the World Orchestra for Peace was in Geneva, and it was to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the United Nations. That was, it was pretty special. Bartok Concerto for Orchestra and William Tell. That's on YouTube. It's it's just a, it's a really good performance. And then and then the 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 concerts I've done and it was on a kind of a bucket list to play in the you know as part of the the, the series at um, Royal Albert Hall you know proms. So I played now I've played there two or three times and it's always just incredible. Mahler five, uh, spectacular. And then I did uh, Beethoven nine there a couple years ago. It's like a rock. It's like a rock concert. It's like, like a rock standing concert. Standing and crowding. It's amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. So those are a couple. That's great. If so, if you could play one composer for the rest of your life, if you had to go to a desert island, you could only play one composer. Who would it be? Tommy Patterson? No. Um. Wow. Um, <laughs> that, whoa. <laughs> Hot takes from Rain. Yeah. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Rachmaninoff. Wow. Cool. Yeah. You know that, yeah, the Rachmaninoff. You know the uh, the slow movement of the cello sonata. That's another warm up melody I use all the time, and I I, I love Rachmaninoff. Just something about it, you know. Just you know the what's the, the Isle of Dead? Mm-hmm. Some good stuff. I mean, but there's so many. Yeah. I love. Well, um, that's why it's a tough question. Oh, you know, you, you know, uh, um, I've been getting into Schnitke uh, lately. Yeah, yeah, really good stuff. And then uh, Arvo Part. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, fan. Yeah, there's so many things. I would love to hear you play Arvo Part. Oh no 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 no. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. What what is there? There's the. Um, what, you can do Spiegel and Spiegel. I mean, I've done that. Nick's done that. I mean, it's all whole notes. And I, but I heard from I heard from Jurgen yeah. who heard who brought up the idea because I don't know if you saw Jurgen's or heard listen to Jurgen's recent CD. Um, he was wow. Working, he was yeah. Wow. Truly, he was working with Parrot and and um, he said, well, what about Spiegel and Spiegel uh, for for trombone? And Parrot thought about it for a minute and he goes, no, not on trombone. So. I know, I know. I think it's beautiful on trombone, but apparently he doesn't like it. So if he heard, if he heard it, yeah, if he heard it, we could sell like him. What about, what about that piece with trombone ensemble, and and rock drummer, and synthesizer? Huh? What Spiegel and Spiegel? Yeah, yeah, and lights. <laughs> you, I love it. You, yeah, I wow. love it. We'll take that to the proms. How about that? I don't know if you need a rock drummer for that piece. <laughs> take it off like that yeah yeah and the uh randy i want you to just like i just want you to hang in your basement and just produce these crazy video concepts just spend a few months and whatever comes to your mind just that would be put awesome. it out in the world okay i'll, I'll do that yeah yeah <laughs> i like to ask this question what is advice you would give to someone who is young playing the trombone, what should, do they do more of? Listening, listening, studying scores, collaborating with other musicians, other than trombone players. Mm, I like that. 
I think, um, and 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 getting off the page as far as playing just trombone music, you know, transcribing things, playing songs. How important is chamber music to you? Ah, I love it. I miss it. I think you know. I love. Um, I mean, the the most fun I, a bass trombone player can have. I mean, that's why you know everyone is so envious of John Rojack. I mean, to, to play in a, a brass quintet on bass trombone, it's you know, it's wow. It's just the greatest learning experience, and and you know, you know, playing with people, being the core bottom of a of a, of a group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, chamber music like that is great. You know, I, I'm I'm hoping as things move forward, you know, I'm I'm not going to stop playing. I want to do more chamber music. You know, continue to expand my horizon. Yeah. Well, we already have our trios planned, so that, okay, that'll be step one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you, any any plans? You're not going to have the third coast this summer, are you? Or TBD? TBD. We're we're hoping to. Yeah. Um, there's, but there's a lot of moving parts, and obviously the a lot of moving parts. There's so much of it out of our hands, just like life. Um, sure. The, if you know the numbers aren't good and not enough people get vaccinated, then it's kind of out of our hands. So we're just we're it's a wait and see a little bit game. Um, but we're we have a couple contingency plans that we'd like to explore as well, but. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Our, we'll take it to where's the country. We'll we'll do it in like Sweden or something. Yes. <laughs> where, where's the country where you're allowed to do things? Well, <laughs> nowhere really. Nowhere. <laughs> well, uh, where where was I? I was just reading about it. Some of these smaller countries have done really well in controlling the you know the the spread of it. Or New Zealand or something. New Zealand did really well. I mean, Madagascar. Yeah, it helps that Madagascar. you're you're isolated. You know that you are contained. But I mean that could be good or bad depending on how you deal with it, you know. Right. Right. So Jamaica with the will. I like Jamaica. I've been there. Now you're now you're talking, uh, Randy. <laughs> Jamaican <laughs> Trombone retreat. Nothing bad could happen. I can't imagine a single thing that could go wrong. <laughs> um you'd have to have an off day like every other day just so people could recover. Exactly. Well you might you might have to develop a lottery system to just for the um you know for the participants because yeah. the 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 request to get in would be so um, <laughs> that's true popular man well man it's it's so great talking to you Randy and it's 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 an honor honestly and Thank you. and any when I've gotten to play with you it's been amazing and I've learned so much from hearing you play and getting to talk to you and hearing your wisdom and thanks for sharing so much of your story with us today. I know a lot of people, it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. Thanks so much, Randy. Really appreciate it. I appreciate both of you, what you do. These, these podcasts are fantastic. Keep it up. And, and we got to, you know, meet for a tea or coffee or a beer or, uh, and, uh, from some trios. I like all those. Yeah. Or some pair. Well, we can invite Bender. There you go. That's him. That's Randy Haas. So good hanging out with him. I hope everyone is having an excellent morning or evening or daytime or high noon or low noon. Whatever you're listening, we appreciate you hanging out with us. This has been a fun project to do, and I'm still blown away by all the support you guys show us and and all the emails we get and the messages we get. It really means a lot. And we're doing this for you guys. So in any effort to bring the trombone community together. So man, 
I still remember the first time I got to to play with Randy. Ken Tompkins so graciously asked me to come sub for him for a week, and I was doing like a children's show, and it was the first time playing. And, and usually, when you sub with a major orchestra, you're probably going to play section usually, especially with a group that has a full section. But it was it was on principle, and so it, it was fairly intimidating. But it was it was a fun challenge and. The the children's show is no joke. <laughs> I, I just looked it up because I remembered it being kind of crazy, but there was like this new brass piece by Michael Doherty with tons of trombone solos, overture to Lohengrin, uh, the Brahms one final chorale, the Chike four last movement, the whole uh, overture to West Side Story, the fugue from Young Person's Guide, and a bunch of Sousa marches. So it was it was a lot of playing, but it was a lot of fun. And Randy, you know, it, it's it's interesting seeing the dichotomy you know when you show up to sub a place especially it's your first time and how how important it is to you right and you're very focused as you should be and for him you know it's just like another morning you know just rolling in and just you know he sounds awesome him and Dennis and of course David and he was just laying it down it was really fun to play with him I mean he was nothing but warm as the entire orchestra was it's one of those orchestras where people just walk up to you and just, and introduce themselves if they see you're a sub, which I always really appreciate. And it's so cool just playing in different orchestras that have been around so long because they all have their own history and their own culture and the way they play in their hall is different and the personnel they've had over time and the conductors they've had over time and their unique sound and just kind of exploring what they do and, and trying to fit into that. It's just, it's a really cool thing getting to play in different great groups like that. It was funny talking to him about forgetting to learn Bruckner nine for his Chicago audition. And we were joking how that happens more than you would think. And so many stories of people that actually it worked out for, or something happened and they had to just kind of figure it out or asking someone how it goes. I <laughs> thought like Megumi talked about that in her interview when he said that, it made me think about my Pittsburgh opera audition and there was, it was a long opera list. And for some reason I copied the list into my own book. I usually like making my own excerpt books for auditions. And I left one of the Otello excerpts out and anyone that's ever taken an opera audition or, or gotten to play the opera Otello, there's just a bunch of licks, you know, Verdi wrote mainly for valve trombone. So there's just a lot of ridiculous ridiculous chromatic licks that are very fast and a little difficult on on with a slide but you know it's our job to learn it and for some reason one of the short excerpts from it I forgot to put in my book for some reason it just didn't copy it was like at the bottom of the page it's just a really fast chromatic passage ascending that's it but it's it was one of those things that you really it's really tough to just nail and in my audition they asked for every single excerpt on that list except that one. And that's why I firmly believe there's luck involved with auditions. Obviously, you have to put yourself in the best position to succeed and be prepared. But, you know, there was a moment in, I think, like the fourth round where one of the people on the committee was like, oh, do you, do you want to hear this other hotel excerpt? Asking the conductor. And in my mind, I'm just shooting these laser beams to the committee like, no, no, you don't. No. And the conductor thought for a second, which felt like 10 minutes. He's like, no, no, I'm okay. Thank God. 
who knows what my life would be like if I actually had to play that. You know, who knows? Maybe with adrenaline, I would have <laughs> pumped it out. That's usually how it works. But yeah, I hope I hope everyone's doing well. It's, you know, this unique time. And I, I, I like hearing stories. Please share with us people slowly getting back to work. I, I got to play with the Harrisburg Symphony earlier this week. And, you know, they really did it the right way. They're super organized. Everyone had to get tested within a certain time frame and answer all these questionnaires. And we had to double mask the whole time. We were 12 feet apart. Everything was very, very organized. People, all the doors were locked and someone giving us a questionnaire when we entered the building. Breaks every 30 minutes to let the air clear. You know, that's just what orchestras kind of have to do right now. And they're definitely doing it the right way. And it was an all brass concert that we recorded for the symphony that they're going to put out to their, their subscribers and all Phil Snedeker arrangements pretty much. And, you know, if you've ever played any of Phil Snedeker's arrangements, he, he does a lot for the Washington brass. Uh, they're no joke. And it was amazing. You know, it was a lot of great players from, you know, the Kennedy Center and uh, New York City Ballet. And it's surprising. We threw it together. And, and the reason I, I wanted to talk about this is it really... Something I've been really thinking about is, is there's nothing like the gift of perspective, right? You know, we've gone through this this crazy year and and counting, but I found in my life there's nothing like appreciating something on a deeper level. And we haven't gotten to a, experience the good part yet. You know, we haven't gotten to experience the gift of perspective yet, a lot of us. Until we get back to playing normally, we don't get to see the change in ourselves. We don't get to see how it feels to play with other people when you actually value it on a whole other level. And I'm noticing it in small doses in, in the gigs I'm starting to get to do again. I just feel a little more present. I feel more connected to my emotions. I feel more connected to my colleagues. I feel more connected to what I'm doing and the value of it. And there's nothing better than that. It's so important and it, it just feels really good. And it feels like a really great place to be for music making. And so that's what I'm trying to focus on right now, because the easiest thing to do is focus on everything that sucks. And there's plenty that sucks, but I'd be curious to hear from you guys. If you're kind of feeling any of the same things, I, I just think if you can center on that, it can be a, a really cool thing. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes. If you want to leave a question or topic you'd like us to discuss, we'll answer it on the podcast. Follow us at Trombone Retreat on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, and our website, tromboneretreat.com, where you can also join our mailing list. Also, feel free to shoot us an email, tromboneretreat at gmail.com, as we love hearing from you. On Instagram, follow Nick at basstrombone444 and myself at js.vera. So, when I finish these podcasts, I always, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a long process. It's from planning to scheduling to conceiving the interview to editing everything. It, it's a long process, but I love it and it's been great. But every time I finish, I definitely go and make a big celebratory macaroni and cheese. Hey, don't, don't judge me. I worked out today. You know, I put, I put some put some broccoli in it so that makes it healthy. You know, it's it's organic. It's from Whole Foods. So so get off me. And as always, never forget to retreat yourself with mac and cheese. <laughs>